Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I love ice cream. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Welcome to the Failed Critics End of Year Awards Ceremony for 2016. I'm Steve Norman. I'm joined by Owen Hughes. Hello. Callum Petch. Hello. And Andrew Brooker. Evening, Jelly Spoons. As we take a look at what you, the <laughs> listeners, have decided are your best films and performances, etc., from the last 12 months of cinema. I think the rules were really it had to be a UK release in 2016 to have qualified. So if you're not a UK listener, you might find some films in here that you think, hang on, that's not a 2016 film. Well, it is where we come from. Yeah, we also had a few few people who nominated films. Um, Nicholas Lake, for example, lives in Canada. He's been on the podcast before. He nominated La La Land, which clearly isn't out here yet because... Despite the fact that I need it in my eyeballs now. Yeah, it's meant to be amazing, isn't it? And yet... We're still waiting for that one. So I, I couldn't count that in the award. Sorry. Sorry, Nick. Um, but, you know, most people stuck to the rules. I think it's fine. I think it's okay. Might have interfered with a couple categories, but we will get to those as we go through the podcast. But Owen, you're going to start us off with a quiz. Yes, uh, obviously, because what other way would there be for us to start a podcast? Basically, the question is, which of the following episode titles were actually used for podcasts that you were on and which are fake? Ooh, I've got eight podcast nice. titles each, right? So Callum, you've got eight. Brooke, you've got eight. Steve, you've got eight. Four are real and four are fake. So do you want to go first, Callum? Sure, why not? <laughs> okay. Pod Handed. Was that real or was that fake? Okay, that was definitely true. I, it just might not have been on one that I was on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh... The not-so-nice guys. Mm. I'll give you a clue. It would have been for an episode where we reviewed the nice guys. You don't say. Mm. Wow. <laughs> That's hardly a clue. I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't think the pun's terrible enough. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say no on that one. We've got Swingers VIP. Okay, definitely wrong. Wrong? Fake? Yep. Okay. Zootopia Tropolis Place. <laughs> Okay, uh, that, that's false. That's false. False? Okay. Anagram again. How many times have I said false now? Uh, I haven't been keeping track. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> uh, um, uh, that one's probably a no. Callum's Dragon. You would not be nice enough to name an episode. <laughs> me, so, no. Okay. Take a break, Ewa. I have no idea what one, what one that would be for. Uh, ah. Right, okay, I'm, uh, okay but I know I've already gone over four now of saying no, which of course <laughs> means I've definitely got at least one of these wrong, but that one's almost definitely wrong. Right, and the final one, Jackie Fan Chance. Yeah, I, f- uh, yeah, I think that's true, I'm pretty sure, because I think we did Kung Fu Panda 3 that episode as well, so, which had Jackie Chan in it, and you are all uh, huge fans of Jackie Chan, so imagine you called it that. So, okay, okay, I will reveal afterwards once we've got everyone's scores correctly. So, Brooker, you want to go next? Yeah, go on then. Okay. 
What the shit, coolest name ever. Yeah, that's true. The guy is on the pod. Ooh. Mm, yeah, yeah, that's true. I think. Dead pod. No. Kubo and the pod things. What? No. <laughs> <laughs> the not so bad four. Instead <laughs> uh, of the not the magnificent seven, obviously. Yeah, I think yes. I think. All right. Okay. Suicide pod. You've got to have been more imaginative than that for suicide squad. <laughs> Surely no. You're just going through all the permutations of pod here. Mm. God. And the angry critics. Mm, yes. Okay. Final one. Ex critics. A podcast lips. <laughs> What the fuck is that? Podcast lips. What the fuck is that? No. I mean, no. <laughs> Fuck's sake. Ex critics are podcast lips. Okay. I actually think that was probably true, quite frankly. <laughs> I really hope not. <laughs> okay, Steve, you're up. Wow. Wow is the word. Captain America, uncivil bore. That's real. Unremarkable gits and where to find them. <laughs> that's re- that, that's real. Mr. Peregrine's podcast for peculiar people. That's not real. Hardcore podcast. That's real. Three critics, one bathtub. That's real. Okay. Indie podnance day, resurgence. It's not real. God, you're rattling through these. All right. Yeah, for the listeners' sake, mate. <laughs> I thought it was just like being so solemn as if like, he's like, I, I actually came up with some of these and I'm ashamed you're all laughing <laughs> at my, at my, I'm insulting me for coming up with them. No, my, my pun game is far stronger than this, <laughs> Callum. Uh, successful cretins. That's, that's real. <laughs> that's real, okay. And a fantastic podcast and where to find it. That's not real. So, we have a winner. There is no need to go to our tiebreak. <laughs> Thank God. Thank God. We, okay, in last place... Callum. Yeah, that makes sense. Four <laughs> points. Podhanded was real. Mm-hmm. The Not So Nice Guys was fake. Mm-hmm. Swingers VIP was real. Really? Yep. Oh. Yeah, even though I know it's yeah. incorrect, but it yeah. was part of... No, 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 that... no, it's like like that makes sense about that. I just, I honestly completely forgot when I was on an episode about Jungle Book. So. You were. Zootopia Tropolis Place was real. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, oh, yeah, because I got to stand on the... Well, metaphorically stand on a podcast for like 20 seconds and sound like the smartest guy in the room revealing <laughs> like nonsense bullshit that nobody cares about and uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Anagram again was fake Callum's Dragon was also fake Take a Break Hour was real it was nice guys it was the nice guys that was the one where we um, where we had anagrams where I set the anagrams and Brooker called it the Take a Break Hour oh yeah <laughs> okay that that makes sense that makes sense the anagram one also now makes sense as well I guess yeah. so <laughs> In hindsight, yeah, but Jackie Fan Chance was fake, although it was something we did say <laughs> on that podcast. But there you go. Four points. Brooker, you are the winner with six points. Really? Which means Steve got <laughs> five points. Yep. Fucking what the hell. shit coolest name ever was real. Well, the Deadpool. guys on the pod. Yep, the guys on the pod was real. That was obviously the girl on the train. Dead Pod was fake. Kubo and the pod things was fake. The not so bad four was real. Suicide pod was real. Oh, fuck it. Oh, dude, you've got to step up your game. That's terrible. Right, yeah. That's it. Book is quitting fail critics, guys. That's it. This is This is why contest. I come up with my own episode names for Character Unlock. <laughs> yeah, the Angry Critics was fake, which was for the Angry Birds. And X Critics, a podcast lips, was fake. Thank God for that. <laughs> you need to retroactively go back and change it to that now. <laughs> Yeah, Steve, Captain America, Uncivil Ball was fake, of course. Uh, Unremarkable Gits and Where to Find Them was real. Mr. Peregrine's podcast for Peculiar People was real. Hardcore podcast was fake. Three Critics, One Bathtub was real. You were correct. Indipodnance Day Resurgence was fake. And uh, Successful Cretins was real. And a fantastic podcast and where to find it was fake, which leaves you with five points. So congratulations, Brooker. Woo! You are the end of year, the final quiz of 2016 that we'll be doing. Well, well, uh, well done for discerning, for discerning Owen's bad puns from his even worse puns, <laughs> Brooker. Well done. They're all, they're all my puns. It's just which ones were used and which ones were discarded. Yeah, I say so. that. There wasn't a, a difference between good and bad. They were just <laughs> yeah, That's what I said, like bad ones and worse ones. <laughs> Okay, the fact, the fact is whether they've been used or not, you've thought of all of them. I did. I... That's the worst thing. <laughs> An insight into your 
crazy mind. Just don't read the descriptions if you don't like the uh, episode titles, that's all I'm going to say. Owen is the only one who knows what mm. has been voted for and what has won various things, so... Over to yeah, I've been collecting these results. First of all, though, thank you very much to everybody who took part. Um, it's just, you know, we had a bit of a mad rush towards the end, as kind of always happens, really. Um, yeah, I mean, again, you never know why him could have been the film of the year. It, it could, could have. have been. It could have. It wasn't. It was fucking garbage, but it could have been. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It could have been that, though. It could have been that. We've got, like, a, a little bit of... Um, a Twitter poll going about whether people think Mob Handed has made the top ten or not at the end of the year. The the kind of despicable gangster movie that's been pissing all over the podcast for the past that's, twelve. That's months. a despicable film about gangsters, not a film about despicable gangsters. Mm. It's both. The twi- the, twi- the twenty sixteen United Passions, everybody. It's exactly. It's the United Passions. It's the Kill Keith. It's uh. All of those things rolled into one. Every giant year, shit. every year, one shitty British film ends up overtaking the entire podcast and being passed back and forth like the ring tape. It's exactly. Except this one kind of stood a chance of getting into our top ten. Yeah, through because... fucking irony voting. <laughs> well, I, I've heard people you know, like, for example, Paul Field was the person who suggested this, and he's b- voting for it on the basis that he thought it was absolutely fucking hilarious. <laughs> So, you know, whether other people agree with him, we have given this film far more publicity than it ever deserved. I I, I mean, mean, by that reckoning, I should have put Collateral Beauty in my top ten, quite frankly. Yeah, maybe. Jesus fucking Christ. Like, so in the future, seriously, you, you both need to start passing collateral beauty back and forth along with a bottle of vodka each of them out there. Seriously. That, <laughs> it's, geez, it's, it's fucking, you need to see this movie. You need, it's yeah. fucking, like, it's wow, wow, wow. Anyways, carry on. Yeah, I can tell you off the cuff, nobody voted for collateral beauty in <laughs> best, worst, any other category. It did not make the cut. Oh, dear. So I thought we would save worst film as the uh, penultimate category. Good idea. Top 10 is obviously going last. Yep, good idea. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> so we'll, we will kick off the awards with soundtracks. No, what did you go for, Brooker? Uh, Arrival in my third place. Nice. Mm-hmm. High Rise as my second. Mm-hmm. And, Very nice. And The Neon Demon as my first. Very nice. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's no point carrying on this section because that is the exact three in that <laughs> order. I am all right with that. Yeah, nice. nice. Brooker, why are you out back? Could you give me next week's lottery numbers as well, please? Uh, no, they're mine. <laughs> <laughs> Not sharing. No. <laughs> You're still angry at me over slating Entourage. Well, you know, <laughs> some people have to hold a grudge. Yeah. <laughs> so uh yeah, Cliff Martinez 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 yep. uh is top for the Neon Demon. Which is uh not a surprise, I have to say. I mean I haven't voted for the Neon Demon for any other category, but it was top for my soundtracks. No, it was second for my soundtracks, sorry, Green Room was top for my soundtracks. What did you have in yours, uh uh Callum? Uh I actually had a really hard time nailing this down with the exception of number one because there were a lot of really good scores this year in films. Um like uh, Neon Demon didn't make it, although it was close. Uh Popstar Never Stop Never Stopping also didn't make it, although that was really close. Uh Arrival was my number one. Mm-hmm. Unlike the Academy, I actually will recognise this as the best soundtrack of as, as the best score of twenty sixteen. Uh in my second place I put Lemonade which is the Beyonce film and I will get in and I'm going to spend and let's just <laughs> let's just shut down any arguments now about whether Lemonade is a film or not it is we can all shut up otherwise this is going to go on for like five hours it's your favourite favourite act isn't it Steve didn't you go and see Beyonce this year I have seen Beyonce live this year yeah, yeah. oh I'm jealous I'm jealous I as, as someone who's not a fan of her music I thought that she's a fantastic performing artist and it was a great show okay. that's a very diplomatic response from you there Steve I know yeah uh, but yeah like, I mean it's also technically cheating because Lemonade is one of the best albums of the year but you know um, and then third I put The Vich uh, by Mark Corbin uh, which um, is a film that didn't make it onto my top 10 or even my top 20 although barely but it has stuck with me and I feel like and a lot of that power comes from that 
incredibly unsettling soundtrack um, that puts it in there. That there's just a constant, uh, like, the the unholy choir wails and those discordant strings and all that stuff in that there. And it's, like, vital to to that oppressive, isolated atmosphere of the film. But no, Mm -hmm. uh, Johan Johansson's score for Arrival is just stunning it's stunning stunning work especially the way that it evolves from imposing unholy discordant um like whales like violin string whales to something more grander symphonic i adore it and but between that sicario and his work on prisoners as well i think johan johansson and Deneva and you are basically made for each other quite frankly mm. um but like they, they complement each other so well in the same way that um resner and uh, R- ross do david fincher mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. fantastic book yeah, so um, we also had an article on the website, which was by Tony Black, who's been on the podcast. He picked The Witch as his fifth. So, you know, good good choice, I think. He also had Star Trek Beyond, which I was not a fan of. The movie. Don't the lie. Uh-huh, yep. Uh, <laughs> moving on. We also, he also picked 10 Cloverfield Lane. That's a good one. Yeah, that was another one that nearly made it. Yeah, Steve, that made your top three. It's been so long since I've seen it. I was just looking through lists of soundtracks and went for ones that I remembered being good but I, I, <laughs> yeah. tell, tell, tell you anything about it now I don't know I can tell you I, I can tell you I can tell you yeah Callum, Callum can do it he can do an impression <laughs> of me if he wants as well like initially it seems very kind of at odds with the claustrophobic you sound nothing like <laughs> like, like, like the claustrophobic um, like insulin nature of 10 Cloverfield Lane but instead, it, it actually fits the film perfectly since much of what Tra- Dan Trattenberg's going for in that film is very Spielbergian. And it ends up just creating that brilliant kind of just like extra added touch to the film in that entirely fantastically um, created like package that it's 10 Cloverfield Lane. But mm-hmm. I imagine we're going to get plenty of other chances to talk about 10 Cloverfield Lane later in the um, podcast. So I will hold off for the time being. Mm-hmm. Well, I won't say any more on that then. Um, no, I'll, I'll, give you- I'll be honest. I struggle with soundtracks most years. Uh, yeah, I, I struggle. I mean, as well. Neon Demon for me is the only film I've come out of. And before I got to the bottom of the escalator outside Cine World, I'd bought the the album and downloaded mm-hmm. it. It was a no brainer for number one, two, and three. I mean, High Rise is excellent. Arrival, I loved, but I I struggle to think of any other good ones. The Nice Guys was also suggested by a few people. In fact, The Nice Guys and Deadpool were the only other suggestions to get more than two votes. So uh, okay. But neither of them were voted first by anybody. So, kind of... I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to think of anything from Deadpool that wasn't just, like, one or two generic. needle drops. So... Yeah. Eh. Oh, well. But Ni- Nice yeah, Guys well. had a funky soundtrack. I, I watched yeah, that again. Didn't mind the Nice Guys soundtrack. That was all right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, 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 I've, I've completely blanked the Nice Guys by this point. Uh, <laughs> I, I have watched it twice in the past three days. I think it's fantastic. Yeah. Um, I feel like like I'll I'll say this again when it inevitably comes up later um, is that like I I do believe it's a good film and I enjoy watching it it's just that I think it because it's just like Shane Black making the Shane Blackiest film it's possible to make and that there it kind of just slipped from my mind in that kind of way where you just inadvertently take it for granted for sure it's definitely it's definitely a best of Shane Black film yeah yeah but that's what I kind of like. Oh, about absolutely. It, yeah, 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 yeah. Again, again, again it's not bad about that. It's just that I've never actually gotten around to watching it again after I first saw it. Partially, yeah. partially because I'm not time with the other part as well because it was yanked from cinemas faster than a wet fart. So <laughs> I managed to catch. I caught it twice in the cinema, which I'm quite pleased about. Lucky you. Uh, yeah. The only other film this year I think I saw twice in the cinema was Batman versus Superman. Uh, so moving on, we also well. have. <laughs> <laughs> we'll move on to the next category. I think documentaries. Fifth place, Amanda Knox. Cool. I watched yesterday before finally submitting my votes and didn't pick in the end. It was, I kind of found it interesting, but not that amazing. But, you know, I can understand why people have, have chosen it. There's an interesting story to be told there. In fourth place, my Scientology movie, the uh, Louis Theroux documentary. All right. In third, now this is interesting, this is 13th, Ooh. which is... The, the Netflix one. Yeah, the yes. Ava DuVernay Netflix one about the history of mass incarceration as origined in the um, 13th Amendment yeah. that prohibited slavery. Yeah. It, I mean, it's, it's, it, it's kind of... The way it came across to me was... A, 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 and I don't, I don't mean the word justification, but a kind of explanation for what Black Lives Matter is and why it's important. That's yeah. kind of how I read it. 
because it, of you know the timing of it and some of the things that it it, it goes into detail. But yeah. like the sound, um, there's also like an like a purposeful like evergreen quality to it um, as well. Like like there's an urgency and a relevance to it now, Matt. There, but yeah. at the same time, it it like it manages to cover this very large, very long scale like like long standing topic in a way that feels neither dense nor underdeveloped in either way. And um, I also love the way DuVernay um, edits the film as well, like cutting between contributors and clips and back and forth. It's got a fantastic pace yeah. to it. Yeah, like, like it feels like an unfolding conversation um, on this like on this kind of thing rather than like didacticism. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, like it, it, is, it is, again, timely and relevant, especially since it happened to come out just before the election. And it doesn't do what I read as a criticism of it, which is, you know, show Trump as this horrible racist, but actually Hillary Clinton's okay. Oh yeah, it no, doesn't no. do that at all. <laughs> no, 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 no. Again, it, it shows how every yeah. like the entire society, and as well, and especially as well the entirety how it builds up Trump not as some kind of anomaly, but as the mm-hmm. syst- as like not as a systemic problem, but more as like a consequence of the more a result of, yeah. of mm-hmm. white supremacy in that belt, which again. We were yelled, which we were warned about for like the whole year and a half of Trump's campaign by essentially like black people who knew this was going to happen, and we all and most of us just laughed it off until it was far too late to do anything about it. I think it's incendiary, like vital viewing. Absolutely, and I didn't watch it until today. I'd already submitted my vote, but if um, if I'd have seen it beforehand, I, I only watched it because as I was collating all these reviews and I saw so many people voting for it, I thought, you know what, I better give this a watch before we talk about it, and I'm glad I did. Uh, and I would also urge other people to... Um... How, how long have you been up for if you've had time to collate all the votes and watch multiple films today? <laughs> well, I was I was up until two in the morning uh, collecting them all together, and then I went to bed for a bit, and then I woke up um, at bay... Well, I set my alarm at half nine so I could get up and finish it off, and then I fell back asleep. But I did get up <laughs> a bit later and put it all together and then watch 13th, and um, yeah. And Mob Handed again. <laughs> and I snuck in a rewatch of Mob Handed and thought, oh, damn, why didn't I vote for this? Uh, right, um, number two. Number two. Do I have to tell you what number two and number one may be, or are we all going to guess? It's, it, it can only be Wiener and Tickled. It can. So, But which order? Which order? What's the order? Tickled has won it. Tickled has won it from Steve. Yeah, I'd say that as well. Yeah, Brooker's going for it. I'll be the Karen. guy. I'll be the guy who says Wiener. You would be the guy who's correct. Wiener came out, top. and very justifiably so as well. But that said, Tickled is one of the few films that I've um, acquired to watch for my catch up, and didn't manage to get around to doing. Sadly. Ah, uh, that's a shame. It's it's brilliant. Oh, I know. Um, I'm going again. I'm going to when I've got the time. When I think. it's it's mental. But we can't talk about it is the problem because to talk about it would to be talk to about it would be to ruin the entire experience of watching yeah, that exactly. film. <laughs> it's about competitive tickling. That's as much as you can say. And if that doesn't entice you to give it a go, then uh, nothing. That's wrong. a great A selling. If I ever heard one there, just of a well, we can't tell you why. Otherwise, it ruin the experience. Yep. Okay, I'm sold. I'll be there. Yeah, the one rule about tickle club is we don't talk about tickle club. Uh... <laughs> so uh, Wiener did come out on top. That was our top choice. Um, and massively so, a landslide, I would say. I think that's partly a result of it actually being fantastic. In fact, when we were talking to the tickled guys, people on Twitter, they said Wiener was their top film. Probably because you can't really say as a person of, oh, our documentary was the best film of the year. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so Wiener, Wiener came out top. Um, who's seen this and voted for it out of us? Uh, yeah. I've actually put it on number 10 on my top 10. 10 on your top 10? It was my number four in the top five documentaries yeah and steve did you vote for it i don't think i've seen it brooker do you want to tell steve what wiener's about it's about a, a well former american is he a senator or former senator a uh, congressman congressman who sent dick pics via always a dick pic appeared on twitter which led to him forcibly resigning and then running for mayor in new york while still sending dick pics to people yeah. yes Essentially, yeah. yeah. And, of course, you know, it's the, 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 the brilliant thing about it is his name being Wiener and sending dick pics, I think. That is just a fantastic coincidence. I maintain that 8 out of 10 men have done that. And we, should, <laughs> and we shouldn't judge this guy for it if he's a good politician. I judge him for sticking it on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, like we, 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 Wiener is um, like an amazing film. That there, it is also just an unbearably like awkward and cringe-worthy experience as well. Because there are points in it where you think he sounds like a reasonable, you know, yeah. intelligent, respectable yeah. politician, yeah. a guy yeah. that you could, in theory, vote for, and then yeah. and then you get a little title card that says 
and he's done it again, and you go, "Oh, dude, for fuck's sake, oh, for really?" Fuck's sake. <laughs> like, like what? Like what? It like nobody comes out of Wiener actually looking any good, with the possible exception of of um, his wife, now separated wife, Huma Aberdeen, who the cam, whom the camera always manages to catch the perfect silent reaction shot of her just completely sick of her husband's bullshit, but unable to actually say anything for. But you do get these reasons, uh, but. You- like, you get the impression that she was kind of married to him because of career stuff. Yeah, no, yeah, anyway. no. Like, but, but, like, the thing of it is, like, it's like, basically just casts a and blames everybody. Like, it blames Wiener himself, obviously, for being mm-hmm. a ridiculous, um, self-centered egomaniac. Who, sex pest. Uh, yeah, like, a sex pest. Who, who is the kind of guy who sees the whole... Who, just can't seem to cut his losses and who no. sees the hole that he's digging himself and decides, nope, I think I can make that go a little bit deeper. <laughs> um, like, it's, it t- it, like yeah. it takes on the um, like the media as well and their rabid glee in turning a political election, like an electoral process, yeah. which is an important mm-hmm. part of the political system out there, into nothing more than a sideshow circus where policies are the last important thing is part of it. But they try, they do try and show him as being dishonest. Yeah, no, is, no, no, no. Which again, is fair. Yeah, no, again, but like, I also whole, think that the great thing about it in in the actual documentaries when he himself shuts down the documentarians yeah. who are trying to film him get him to say stuff in the car yeah. to prod at him and he says you know I've never heard of a talking fly yeah yeah and yet he's still in, and yet at no point does he just revoke their access or anything exactly, like, that yeah. and him, like he's just like compulsively insists on having to perform for a camera which apparently is befitting yeah. of his actual status in um, politics itself apparently he was liked by nobody anyway and had mm-hmm. a reputation mm-hmm. for being somebody who was you know um, old, who was constantly just like an egomaniac terrible to his staff and trying just to make things worse just caught in controversy didn't he just for the publicity but then also even throughout it all and even for it being an utterly hilarious and fantastically edited documentary like the editing is one of the most key parts of this movie especially a part where um when he's on msnbc's last world lawrence o'donnell where um him and lawrence own two completely separate studios and he's having his infamous effectively meltdown on air and mm-hmm. the film constantly sucks the air out of that situation by just cutting back to just wiener in this empty studio yelling into a camera with nobody else around and it's yeah, yeah mm-hmm. like punctured political but throughout it all even with it being funny it never actually also loses sight of the people most affected by this which are the young politically active people who cast their lot who actually rely upon and put their hope in politicians to you know fight for them and play their lives like as you watch from the beginning Mm -hmm. of his staffers and supporters and that they begin with kind of ready to help embrace the underdog narrative but even the filmmakers probably thought they were initially documenting and then slowly watching the sinking realization as this titanic of a campaign keeps on going that their trust was completely misplaced and that everything is just fucked and miserable it's simultaneously incredibly timely and immediately outdated given the fact that of course trump basically weathered a whole load of these exact same things and is now president of the united states um but yeah uh, yeah Mm -hmm. yeah but at the same time it's 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 phenomenal viewing it is awesome yep so just outside of the top five uh we had sour grapes which i haven't seen and i'll be honest i know very little about no never Um, heard of it never heard of it no and gleason which i know steve you've seen brooker did you vote for it as well it's my my best of the year your best of the year okay brooker what's gleason gleason is a documentary about uh, an ex new orleans saints defensive back guy called steve gleason who was diagnosed with als not long before he found out his wife was pregnant and he decided to kind of videotape and document his life for his kid uh and i, th- I think it was filmed over five years and you spend literally that the entire time with this guy watching his his symptoms get worse and watch him try to try to deal with ALS and his wife tried to deal with looking after him. And there's a couple of things in that will, will put a documentary, because I don't watch many documentaries, there's a couple of things that will put a documentary at the top of the list for me. And one of them is a, a proper emotional connection with what I'm watching. And I've seen Steve Gleason play. I'm a, as a lot of people know I'm a big NFL fan and I, I've watched Steve Gleason play and he's he was amazing to watch. And to watch this guy crippled by this this disease was just heartbreaking. And there's this one fucking moment in this film where I, I don't know if it's just for the sake of the film or out of desperation or something, but he goes to one of these annoying prayer groups where they try to sing the sickness away. And he gets all wrapped up in it and he thinks that he's he's going to be cured and gets up and tries to run. And you watch this dude just plant into the floor 
I just sat there, open mouthed. I was in bits. Horror. It made me so angry. It's such a great film. I mean, I think maybe I took more away from it being a, a fan of the guy himself or a fan of the sport he he does or did. But it was. It's a really powerful documentary that is really, really worth a watch if you can find it. So, is there anything that? Um we haven't mentioned that you guys want to just quickly throw in before we move on. I think I fucked my list up. Is that right? I think I did. No, because I, I, I put my list in because uh, a little while ago I asked every, I asked on Twitter for documentaries that I need to watch, uh, mainly for this but for the Oscars as well. Mm-hmm. And I got a couple of suggestions and one of them I watched and I put it onto my list and it turns out it doesn't actually come out for another two weeks Would in that the be UK. zero days? That's zero mm-hmm. days. Mm-hmm. I was quite annoyed that, <laughs> that that was the case because actually that film was 100% paranoia fuel and was really, really good. For once this year, I actually saw more documentary films than normal. Um, so I actually mm-hmm. managed to get a top five list, whereas in other years I've you know, had it relatively little. A uh, couple of ones that missed out, uh, which are on my personal list. And Kate Plays Christine. Oh, yes, which you talked about on our special uh, London Film Festival. Yes, which you well, can all go listen to now. Well, not literally now. Well, get to get to the end of this podcast first. Yeah, finish this and then do that. Um, which also just missed out on my actual top 20 as well by virtue of not having time to really watch it. But it is a fantastic semi-documentary about the making of a fake biopic about Christine Chubbuck, the reporter from 1974 who committed suicide live on air. And people can watch it in like a double bill, can't they, with Christine? With that and Christine, which is due out in England on Jan- at the end of January. Um, and I have my number five, and I actually deliberated over this <laughs> because I'm not sure whether whether people count constant movies as documentaries. Uh, I decided, sorry, I put for Justin Timberlake and the Tennessee Kids, which is the Jonathan Demme concert, fi- Justin Timberlake concert film, because yeah. it's Jonathan Demme and he makes great fucking concert movies, and it's Justin Timberlake who is a fucking amazing pop musician and an amazing entertainer, and just yeah, that that film that film is my everything. That's it's 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 everything. It's just of course of course it's, it's on Netflix Netflix. as well, right? Yep, it is on Netflix. It's a Netflix exclusive as well. So you have no yeah. excuse to not give ninety minutes of your time to watching that. I've got plenty of excuses, and I will stand by them. Um, <laughs> the other one that I thought I'll just throw in quickly, um, because. You know, it wouldn't be a documentaries list if nobody nominated Werner Herzog. I went for Into the Inferno, ah, which is also on not Netflix. lo and behold. No, but uh, James Diamond did vote for that one. Our critics founder James Diamond picked Lo and Behold yeah, on his list because that's now yeah. on Netflix as well, isn't it? So it is on Netflix as well. That's the one about the kind of history of the internet. Yeah. Technology. I think Into yeah. the Inferno is on Netflix as well. So just, it is a Netflix yeah, original. Ju- yeah. Just have a ne- just have a Herzog documentary double bill then. <laughs> I could think of fewer ways that are better to spend a couple of hours. Interspersing these awards, we're going to come in with a few questions that Owen has written for me to ask. <laughs> uh, yeah, spoil the magic. You could have pretended yeah. that you came up with them, Steve, with your big brain. No one wants to know how the sausage is made, Steve. <laughs> they just want to eat it. Well, uh, if you had to replace one of the existing categories with <laughs> a new category, what would you choose? And which film would you put in it? E.g., get rid of best soundtrack and replace it with best comedy, etc. <laughs> Close brackets. Do you not want to be here, Steve? How do you come up with these, Steve? <laughs> oh, this takes a long time. Just off the top of your head as well. It's amazing. Yeah, it's off the cuff. Yeah. Um, um, well, okay, you've given away that I came up with the question, but basically my point was uh, a few people this um, year, at elab 24 uh, Evelyn, on Twitter, she said that we should include a category for animated movies. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say that. I, I was literally going to say that in mine. Uh, yeah. Like, I don't think... I, like, I wouldn't really cut any. Um, like, because I'm aware that with Best Doc and Best Non-English Language Movie, that's just stuff I don't see that much of. Like, that's like, they're, mm-hmm. they're still, you know, vital films that I wish to talk about, but they're just not stuff I see enough of. But animation, definitely. And I'm going to come back to this when we talk about um, the year in film in general, but this as well has been a banner year for animation this has been a phenomenal sure. year for animation a quarter of my top 20 list is animated is consists of animated films holy crap and what would you what would you bump out of the current like voting categories to put an, uh, animation in for mm, uh, I, I guess british films <laughs> yeah i have i have trouble every year actually coming up for british films one um particularly since of course again you have the usual issue of just what is a british film nowadays for the most part as well so well, it's like Allied. I mean, I struggled. I was like, well, technically on IMDb, it's got, you know, American and UK. But at the same time, it doesn't feel very English, even though the writer, Stephen Knight, is 
English. Yeah. And it's set in mostly in England. Yeah, but then it's also made consists of Americans. It so. consists of Americans. It feels very American. Um, I don't, yeah. So, um, yeah, I would bump out British as well. The other, uh, the other thing, Catherine, who told uh, me on the phone the other day, she said she would have uh, brought in a category for animals so that she could nominate Black Philip from The Witch. <laughs> I thought it was quite I mean, we could just give a special award to it. But, but, but who else? Yeah, who else? Yeah, whatever animals. Um, Pudsy the dog. We had that one this uh, year. No, no, that was two years ago, and I'm still haunted by it. <laughs> Uh, oh yeah, yeah. It's because I made Steve watch it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Paul Field suggested categories for horror and comedy. Yeah, I'm um, I'm all for horror categories. More horror categories, mm-hmm. please. Well, you did Fright, Fright Fest this year as well, didn't I you? I did. Uh, but it, I mean, it's not just that. I I last year I I watched a, a shitload of horrors as well. That don't you can't put horrors most of the time into your top ten. I know I did one mm-hmm. this year, but they just they don't compare with things like. You know, Arrival and Green Room and things like that. I, so I mean, Green I Room is a horror movie. But no, you know. it's not. Mm, I wouldn't say it was. Horror. The, the, Wikipedia lists it as horror, so that's. <laughs> but, if, but, but I mean, but I had the same thing with the Neon Demon. Everybody calls the Neon Demon horror. I don't think it's a horror. It feels like a drama no. and a thriller. Yeah. And yeah. A Green Room falls very firmly into thriller category for me. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would you have gotten rid of British films as well? Probably, yeah, because uh, we were saying this earlier. I I struggle. This year especially, I've struggled to come up with uh, five good British films. I kind of had to go back and double-check that my top one was actually financed by the BFI. So I was like, well, yes, then it's definitely British. Uh, And one of them didn't get a proper theatrical release, but went straight to VOD. Uh, More pandered, right? Oh, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Damn straight. Yeah, I I would um, bin off Best Foreign Muck. Best Foreign Muck? Yeah. Yeah. And replace it with black and white and so and subtitles. Yeah, silent movies or something. <laughs> no, I would do best TV program or or best TV show slash episodic program, hmm. and I would nominate uh, Stranger Things. Well, that's very interesting because I was going to say I would get rid of British films as well, and I would replace it actually with just Netflix originals because um, it's kind of branching out into its own unique thing, yeah. really. But. It's not quite TV, it's not quite movies, it's not quite just documentaries. I mean, it's kind of... But why would you re- why would you stick to just Netflix? Because one of the best TV shows I've seen this year and last year is an Amazon original. Oh, right. Man, Man in, in the, the High, High Castle. Castle. The Grand Tour. Absolutely. The Grand Tour. <laughs> Nothing says good time, fun times like homophobic racist cunt bags all over your TV. <laughs> yeah. do, do we all like ice cream? They all like ice cream. <laughs> I love ice Who cream. Who the fuck doesn't love ice cream? Come on. Yeah. I feel like you would have to put it just to streaming in general as well, because um, as well, like Netflix's original films for the most part are iffy, with the exception of yeah, their documentaries. The, the films have been a bit all over the place, really. The only one two I really loved came out this year, which were Justin Timberlake and um, The Little Prince as well, mm. which I imagine received no votes from anybody, but did hit number 20 on my personal top 20 list. Uh, you mean well. you didn't love Special Correspondence? You know, I just don't believe that. No, no, no. no. <laughs> Funnily enough, and the, and the do-over did nothing for me either. I, I, I'm not no. sure why. Memoirs of an International Assassin. Still haven't watched that. that. <laughs> it's yeah. on my watch list, but I still didn't get, didn't get around to yeah. watching it. It's not worth it. You don't say. You don't <laughs> say. I just thought, you know, spoilers, but you ju- it's just crap. Next cat. Next category. Next category is a uh, foreign film, Steve, or foreign muck. Best foreign muck. Films not in the English language. Now, I'm gonna, there's a couple of films right, that have been voted for a lot, yeah. and yeah, I don't know. I mean, can you guess which is going to be top? Should I even? Train to Busan. Train to Busan is top. Yeah, deservedly so as well. If a lot of people, British people, are going to watch a foreign film. They're going to want watch one about zombies. Or oh, to be fair, also a great South Korean film. I bet if we did this when Dead Snow came out Dead Snow would have been quite high up in the best foreign film list yeah possibly I mean I would have also gone for the fact that it's the one that got the actual widest release I think that does come into it a yeah. lot and yeah. particularly why the, the rest of the list consists of in second place Son of Saul and in third place The Wailing yeah because those are two others that have actually been released fairly widely or at least are easily available compared to some of the other yeah i only got three on my list um despite having been to the london film festival mainly because most of the films from the london film festival aren't out here till next year so uh like my list was basically just for foreign films consisted of three films and that all ones are mostly just kind of eh on like uh my like my number one was your name 
the uh, it's like uh, Shinoki anime. Uh, but I loved the first hour, and then when its twist comes in, kind of just slowly deflated on as the rest of the film went on. But it's fine. Um, Train to Busan, which I think is okay, but I don't get the massive love for. Um, like, for me, it's just kind of another really good zombie movie. And I can appreciate that, and that it's decently made, but at the same time, I am just so fucking sick of zombies right now. <laughs> well, only two people put Train to Busan at the top of their foreign films list, but six people put it in second. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, like it me. picked up it, yeah, picked up votes lower down the yeah. list. Well, yeah, like. it, was, it was my second place as well. Mm-hmm. Again, like, I, I understand why... You know, like why people might like it in that there, but I don't understand why it's some kind of revolution in horror or thriller or zombie movies in that there, when it's just kind of a really good zombie movie. Um, and then number three, I had The Unknown Girl, which is the Darden Brothers film for this year, which was uncharacteristically weak for them, but still a decent time at the cinema, at least. But Brooker, you and I, as well as having The Wailing in common, yeah. we also voted for Yakuza Apocalypse. Now, oh, I never saw that! Now, oh. did you vote for Yakuza Apocalypse because it made up the numbers for the because it came in fifth. See, for me, yes. I I genuinely really liked Yakuza yeah. Apocalypse. I think it it came in just above the wailing for me, but it was I loved it. It was so much fun and so fucking stupid. I have I I have had it at the um like 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 set to watch from since since January since it came out in January and I've still just not gotten around to watching it and I'm kicking myself. But this is it's one of those films that. and and this is really common every year for me, especially for foreign films. I have to travel so far to see these things because I want to. You know, I want to give them my money. I don't want to fucking download them. I want to go and watch them. So I had to travel to London for Train to Busan, and I traveled to London for Yakuza Apocalypse, and I'm pretty sure I traveled to London for Disorder as well, because it didn't come out anywhere near me. And you'll probably have to do the same for The Handmaiden in April. I will <laughs> almost certainly have to do the same for The Handmaiden in April, and that really fucking sucks. Mm. We did have people vote for The Handmaiden as well. It doesn't come out till April. <laughs> I know, I did know, you, don't read the rules. Did you have people voting for L as well, despite that not coming out here till March? No. Because, uh, see, like, again, like, if I were allowed to be included for films I saw at London Film Festival, that would have been a veritable bounty of list in that fair, <laughs> because it was, especially French oh. film that there was really fucking good there this year. As I mentioned there, I would have put Nocturama in there, which I'm still pissed has no UK release date right now. I've been wanting to rewatch it for ages. Uh, mm-hmm. My Life is a Courgette could have been on there. Uh, the Handmaiden, obviously, L. Ellie um, yeah. really is as good as people have been telling you, by the way. Um, so, he, he, so the fact that it's not going to win your best foreign language Oscar should just tick you off immediately right now. Um, <laughs> like, like again, like it's. But again, that's unfortunately that's unfortunately me just running around with my film, with my professional film, with my semi-professional film critic card, waving it in your faces like some kind of smug yeah. git. Weirdly, weirdly, we did have uh, a couple people vote for the Boy and the Beast in the um, foreign films list, which does count, but. I know for a fact there were three people that put it in their top ten films of the year list. And in fact, it was quite high up on one of them. So I think they accidentally forgot to move it into their foreign films list. Otherwise, that may have been a bit higher as well. That may have been um, into the top five of the year, which is a Japanese anime thing. Yeah. Uh, did anybody have Under the Shadow, just out of curiosity? Yes. No, because I haven't seen it yet. Annoyingly, I haven't seen it yet. But one person voted for it and they put it top of their list. Was it Mark Commode? It was not Mark Commode, no. Um, he did. He did vote though. Oh yeah, obviously. Did he? Yeah, of course. No, of course he fucking didn't. Uh, <laughs> you don't. You don't know that. He only. He only ever votes, but he votes in the British category and always puts Danny Dyer's films top. So, um, I voted for Ip Man three, which I watched the night before the uh, deadline. I, I have still, to my shame, never watched an Ip Man movie. I thought it was better than the second one. It was a bit schmaltzy and, you know, kind of sentimental and all the things that make foreign Chinese Cantonese films a bit iffy. But I actually thought it was it was stronger than Ip Man 2. Oh, Owen, for supposedly being a Donnie Yen superfan, to not have seen Ip Man 3, despite it coming out in January until last night, is it's disgraceful yeah. behaviour. It really is. I know, it is. Uh, but I also, I did watch Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon 2 when that came out. So. I mean, that also doesn't count because it was in English for some fucking reason. So... But, yeah. Um, Anyway, should we have another one of Owen's questions? No, no, one of Steve's questions that he's fought randomly off the top of his head. One of one of Owen's questions that you've come up with all all on your own, often spur in the moment. One of those questions. Yeah. Um, 
Excluding new releases, which is the best <laughs> film that you've discovered slash watched for the first time this year? In brackets, no need to go into depth. There's a quick what and why will do. Close brackets. Callum, I feel like I feel like Owen. What your what your own goal here is that you should probably just try and just be the general host during the end of year stuff, <laughs> or at the very least not leave stage directions on on Steve's notes. <laughs> right, um, I narrowed it down to three. Uh, I'm I'm really not going to go into detail about any of these. Uh, um, a serious a man. Quite a boy will do. Yeah, yeah. Um, a serious man, the Coen Brothers movie, um, which I watched before I went and saw Hail Caesar, um, mm-hmm. and fell in love with instantly. Um, I really like yeah. it. I think it's their most underrated movie. Not a lot of people list it like high up when they talk about Coen Brothers. Yeah, but, but it's, it's also not been seen as much as other ones. Is is the thing about yeah, there? But it's fantastic about there. Just this hilarious, um, bleak examination of faith and uh, like and, and religion and um, I want to say seventies. Um, Jewish suburbia, especially as well, mm-hmm. Matt. just it's just so well done and so entertaining. Um, some of their best and many of their best sequences as well. Um, their entire career, which is saying something. Um, Francis Ha, uh, which oh. I finally got, which I finally got persuaded to watch this year. Um, I think on the podcast last year, I had a rant against Noah Baumbach, um, uh-huh. saying like after the, like saying I just didn't get him. After having watched uh, While We're Young and Mistress America and um, being kind of okay on While We're Young until the final 30 minutes and then despising Mistress America and just thinking that he maybe, you know, just made smart people comedies, uh, pe- you know, that stuffy film critics just go, ho, 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 um, uh, kind mm-hmm. of shit. Um, and then finally, uh, for, you know, the possible third strike and out, I watched Francis Ha and um yeah i i love it i love it i think it's actually funny i think it's got self-awareness about about a thing and also conveniently enough it's story of of um adult of an adult of adult women in arrested development and that there with no prop with no real goals aspirations about their life stuck in awkward transitions and that there has really resonated with me and i'm not <laughs> quite sure why hmm. um and also, and the uh, third one is Alexander Payne's Election. That's a good one. Uh, oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Also another great film. Yeah, yeah. yeah like, well, oh, oh, oh f- thank you, Booker. Thank you for mm. finally complimenting something of mine. Well, the other two I hadn't heard of. Oh, oh, okay, <laughs> uh, yeah, Francis Ha is, is. I fucking hated the characters in it and couldn't get on board with it because of that. But that was personal, subjective. Thing. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but yeah. No. Uh, yeah. An election about there, which is a really, really funny, really, really smart. Um, movie about he said she said um which uh and um un- and unchecked and unchecked unacknowledged misogyny as well Matt there timely in like like ti- timely when i watched him out there for the first time which was you know relatively close to the election um itself and that there but also just like superbly well done um as well Matt there especially in the way that it um le- it, it, like it it, le- it it does have an actual like you know moral viewpoint in that there but it wants you to go towards but it doesn't try and announce it loudly in a bullhorn as well in that there which I really really liked it trust that viewers are smart enough to realise um, how much of a jerk McAllister is and how much of uh, and whether um, Tracy Flick is actually manipulative or not in that there so yeah it's really well done I really liked it like I watched it and I immediately went okay that's why people talk about Alexander Payne so Brooker what was on your uh, list then what have you got it was really interesting because when I, when I read the question that Steve absolutely came up with all on his own five minutes ago. <laughs> I, I went through my spreadsheet to see what I'd seen this year that wasn't available, I couldn't vote for in the awards, but was the first time I'd seen it. And there was nothing. Nothing? Literally nothing. Well, nothing that I was allowed to talk about in the awards. So actually, what my, my, my one discovery, if you like, the one that I discovered this year... And there, there were quite a few, and I, I hark back to, to me going to Fright Fest back in August. There's so many great films there. So there was a lot of guff. There was an awful <laughs> lot of guff, but there were so many really cool films that will probably never appear in this country, properly for everybody to go and see. But one of them was this little, kind of hillbilly thriller horror thing called My Father Die, mm-hmm. which was directed by Sean Bronson. Pierce Brosnan's son. Okay, right. About a guy who, after being almost killed by his dad, uh, kind of grows up refusing to talk to people and and basically lives his life like a mute mm-hmm. uh, and kind of 
15 years or 20 years pass and his dad gets out of prison and his dad goes on this murderous rampage trying to find his son and his son has to kind of protect himself and his mum and all his family members and his friends that this nutty biker is uh, trying to kill. And it's it's really, really good. It's really gritty. And it was it was the opening film for Fright Fest. And I sat there and went, because this year was my first Fright Fest ever, and I sat there and went, holy fuck, this... If it carries on like this, I don't think I can handle this level of awesomeness. This was fucking brilliant. I was absolutely blown away. It was followed by the very, very shite cell. <laughs> uh, yeah. But it was a really great start to the festival, actually. It was a really, really great way to to, to introduce me to, to Fright Fest. And I mm. absolutely amazing. If and when it ever comes out here, everybody should go and watch it. Fright Fest also added a film, which I'm not going to talk about. Uh, but I'm saving for Paul. And for the second it comes out on Blu-ray or DVD, I'm sending him a copy and forcing him to watch it. It may be the worst film I've ever fucking seen. <laughs> Revenge. How <laughs> <laughs> about you, Steve? What was the best thing you saw for the first time this year? Uh, I'll stick with my TV theme after picking TV as the category I wanted. And for the first time this year, even though it's a few years old now, I saw Rick and Morty. <laughs> yes! yes. Yeah. Nice. Which is, which is just funny dark comedy available on netflix now and yep. season three is out soonish yeah i'm hyped I, I i also didn't watch rick and morty till this year as well i'm proceeded to blaze through season one and season two in two separate weekends so owen you um i mm, there was i mean i haven't had a great year for movies in general i don't think but i did watch a couple that i sort of enjoyed to varying degrees um i saw basically okay what happened i saw an animated gif of the film called the stuff which I didn't know what it was from, and eventually worked out that it was from a film called The Stuff that then made me track it down and watch it, knowing nothing about it other than this one, like, two-second clip that I would saw on a GIF. And it's about some, well, it's stuff, which looks like melted marshmallow. And before I even knew what the film was about, I thought, that looks delicious. And apparently that's what the film is actually about. It's about some stuff that's discovered, people start eating it, and it turns out that the stuff is like an organism that kind of starts taking over them in an invasion of the body snatchers sort of way. Oh, yeah, I think I've heard of this. Yeah, it's all, you know, it's about consumerism, materialism, capitalism, yada, yada, yada. It's very mid-80s in that charming sort of way that B-movies in the mid-80s could only get away with making. But, um, yeah, I thought it's... Oh, and speaking of mid-80s, I did also watch for the very first time last week, I watched Mad Max 2. Nice. First time I'd ever seen it. And I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really good fun. Could have done without all the little kid stuff, but otherwise it was um, it was just. just I mean, great I mean, fun. I mean, what film can you really say other than Chain Black and Red Bear where that's not also true forever? True. Just, yeah. Uh, um, Looper. Uh, yeah. Pierce Gannon, Gannon, whatever his name was, the kid. He was good in that. But uh, yeah, most of these films that just have a token kid because it was the eighties, mm. and that's what you had to do. It was yeah. just. But otherwise, yeah, I loved the world setting of it. I loved the the way Max... Because I didn't really get on with the first Mad Max. And immediately after Mad Max 2, uh, well, the next day, actually, I watched Beyond Thunderdome, Aww. which was a swollen dog anal gland of a film. It's fucking atrocious. But tried to, war- tried awesome. to warn you that, like, 18 months ago. You did. I tried yeah. to warn you against watching Beyond Thunderdome. <laughs> But I had to. I felt like I had to after watching the second one. It's just dreadful. Well, well, two out of four is not bad, is it? Exactly, yeah. Because I have a personal rule in my lists where I don't include films that came out in America last year that come to the UK this year because it's 2016 and I'm sick of the release window disparity bullshit. Um, I also just want to mention Creed as well. In that well, bit, which yeah. Is, yeah, which is phenomenal. I'm the best Rocky movie, um, like bar none. It's fantastic. I adore every second of it. I've watched it three times this year. Yeah, it was eligible for the, this year's awards and yeah. people have voted for it. So I'm not going to say whether it's in the top 10 or out, but just to say Ooh. other people did vote for it. Yeah. What's our next category on our end of season awards, Owen? The, this is the one we were almost all in favour of ditching. Uh, it's the in favour of something else, I should say, not just because we didn't want to, but it's British films. Now, Mob Handed, what do you think? Is it in the British films or not? It's going to be number one because assholes. Do you think? Almost certainly. I do not underestimate the power of irony. No. 
Right, okay. I, I only got Trump elected a couple of months ago. Oh, God, don't even, Cersei, don't even. <laughs> what I'm going to do is I'll tell you what's fourth, third and second, okay. and then I'll reveal what's fifth and first. That's a different way of doing things. Because Mob Handed is not... All right. Um... Well, Mob Handed is not fourth, third or second. Fuck's sake. Oh dear. Is it even on the list? That's the problem. Well, is it on the list? Is this a double bluff? Mm. In fourth is Eddie the Eagle. Okay. I never saw it. Mm. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay. It's pretty good. Yeah. You saw this, didn't you, Steve? Yeah. In a year where there were so many shit British films. Oh, not, okay. Not so many good British films. I think Eddie the Eagle is probably worth a place in that top five. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. It's it's a it's a fun underdog sports movie. Um, and they're, like those and those are always nice and entertaining. Yeah. I've I've loved those since I watched Mighty Ducks for the first time. Yeah. And cool Runnings, of course. Which I finally saw for the first time this year. You don't have to ostracise me anymore. And, and that wasn't your discovery of this year that wasn't in the top ten? <laughs> um, Steve, you did actually put Eddie the Eagle in fourth place on your list as well. So it's kind of tallied with how you, you voted. Not surprised. Steve, where did you put Mob Handed? Uh, in the bin. <laughs> <laughs> so you also voted for Eye in the Sky, which has come out third. Nice. Nice, nice. That's my, that was my number one. On that was my, my number three. I'm happy with that. That disappeared from our cinema. Um, by Indigo, it disappeared from the cinema after uh, I'd written it off and thought, oh, it just looks a bit shit, really. And then everybody started saying how good it really is. And then I thought, okay, I'll book a ticket. And then it had gone, it vanished. I've, I've never walked out of a cinema where the audience was so somber at the end. Yeah. It was, yeah, like, like, I mean, me as well. I just walked out going off. I felt like. I was in a funeral procession as I walked out the door. Yeah. It was horrible. Yeah, like like it put it puts you through so much. Um, <laughs> like like I, I've seen a lot of people who, um, or specifically, I hang out a bunch of friends of Matt there who hated it because it's a film that actively. Uh, for those who don't know, it's about um, essentially it's a giant debate about the morality of drone strikes uh, <laughs> with this ticking time bomb scenario of um, a group of uh, military officials in my event seeing there's. Uh, supposedly leading a capture mission for a bunch of dangerous terrorists in uh, Nairobi, Kenya, only to find out that the terrorists are actually instead about to set off and do a suicide attack. So they have to question whether they need whether they're going to put a drone through, uh, like a Hellfire missile through the house and kill a innocent little girl who stood nearby, or not do it and run the risk of you know of many other people dying in various terrorist mm-hmm. attacks across the country. Um, like, and, but the thing about it is that it strives to be apolitical. Like, it tries to show both sides of the drone warfare debate and that there. Um, like in, in all the different ways, all the different facets, all the different arguments. Um, and tries to leave you to figure out the arguments for yourself. Um, so I can understand why other people might hate it for that, thinking that it's, like, too cowardly for not, you know, coming down on an actual position and that there and leaving you to just go off and debate it over coffee or whatever. I'd argue, however, that it's not apolitical, mainly because I always hold, I, I am firmly of a belief that it is impossible to make an apolitical war move. Well, that is kind of neatly going to lead us into what came second, because it is a very political movie. It's I, Daniel Blake. Mm. See, I thought it was a very good drama. It was obviously very political. It had a very specific message that it wanted to get across. Mm. But I liked it. I thought as a as a, a story, it was it worked really well. Um, obviously, the point of it was to highlight uh, issues that Ken Loach has with current government. But at the same time, as a drama, it was really good. The st- it was very affecting, uh, very emotional. It had great performances throughout. I mean, it had a, a really good ending. I like. I loved the ending to it. Um, it felt I, sort of triumphant in a way, and so I'm quite pleased that it's come out second. I wrote, I wrote a giant piece about it. I came out of it appreciating it as a message movie with noble intentions, and the whole point of essentially being of you know shining a light on the broken benefit system that we have in this country right now, and trying to educate people, and also trying to redress the depiction of people on benefits, which years of media, both of the journalistic standards and the television standards you know shows like benefit street and all that stuff depi- depicting them as you know heartless scrounges i just think it's a really badly made movie like i think it's dramatically inert the staging is all weird and awkward and wrong it's didactic to a fault and like and a lot of the problem itself comes from the fact that i didn't find daniel himself to really be so much character 
as like an embodiment of all the bad things in the world that are happening right now that Loach can feed his points through. It never convinced to me as a drama, and especially as well for a film that's like is clearly well intentioned, and it is. It's also kind of a really condescending middle class view of what working class life is actually like, particularly with a lot of really hackney cliched um, plot turns late on in the movie and how the film t treats the female lead as well. But it's kind of taken real life stories and adapted them, isn't it, into one narrative? Like in a way, but also again, my main problem as well again is the fact that um, like in, is that none of it really works, especially as well again the fact that Daniel himself again is less of a character and more ultimately a thing that bad things happen to and the kind of person who just walks on stage so that everybody watching the film clearly knows that this thing that is happening right now is a bad thing because of hit like like the food bank scene for example which is of yeah like, with Hayley Squires yeah. she's just a, a phenomenal yeah, yeah no, like, like the food bank scene for example which is for the most part as phenomenally haunting as people have been telling you it is by the way instantly goes down several notches for me with the constant cuts back to and then eventual walking of Daniel Blake just staring at everything in like pure sadness because as I feel like the film doesn't trust the audience to understand just through Hayley Squire's excellent performance of just how like heartbreaking and sad the whole thing is. I had the opposite reaction. I th I thought it felt real. I thought that that particularly, yeah. it, that scene in particular felt yeah. Genuine. It well, felt like a real moment. It felt like um, you could believe that this was just some people recording something that was happening rather than it being a staged drama. Yeah. I thought it was it was um, very emotive and it certainly made people think, or made me think about about this situation that these, yeah. these people find themselves in. And ultimately, that's kind of what it was supposed to do. Yeah, plus also there are a couple of moments that I feel just devolve into Loach self-parody, like the um, like the wacky best friends that live on the estate who are cooking up a mad scheme to sell uh, bootleg shoes from across China and all, and also that <laughs> bit with the protest where that random homeless guy comes along and just starts calling Ian Duncan Smith a cunt and that there. And it's, oh, it just yeah. would have been so incredibly dry without any of that yeah. though yeah but yeah but anyways yeah again again like i appreciate it and i also again appreciate the fact that it has crossed over and actually you know brought this kind of conversation to a mainstream talking point which in a way is more important than it just being a film but now i'm really but i'm glad this is why i'm glad i don't have to give scores for films now anymore because i wouldn't know how to score it because on one hand i appreciate its intentions but on the other hand i just did not connect with it as a, uh, as a movie at all but in anyway um, we, but i appreciate the yes, good very good kind of, anyway <laughs> yeah moving on sorry, anyway go <laughs> Thing that everyone's waiting for i guess i don't know i assume uh is what's first and what's fifth and is mob handed either of them well you've told us it is well have i <laughs> you did yeah okay sorry draw, draw the drum the illusion again uh first place uh... is high rise Yay! nice so, yes came out top i think Basically, for being the most watched British film. That was fucking close, film. wasn't it? <laughs> I, have, I have to admit, I have my my top one. I think I'm like one of five people that saw it, and of those five people, everybody else hated it. Yeah, High Rise is um, the most voted for British film in the list, but had the least amount of first places as well on the top five. It was my number two. More people voted for I Daniel Blake, Eye in the Sky, and Eddie the Eagle in top place. And more people voted for Mob Handed in first place, which is why it's fifth. <laughs> mm, moving on. <laughs> Democ democracy doesn't work, folks. Yeah, so Mob Handed is fifth on our list of British films. Yeah. But High Rise is great, guys. Okay. Let's have a uh, another one of my questions. <laughs> yeah. um, Fucking we'll, we'll hell. To a You're literally word. putting in no effort. <laughs> I am. I'm really trying. Um, how was, and they'll have a one word answer for this, how was 2016 compared to previous year's uh, releases for you, Brooker? That's alright. That's two words. That's two okay. words. Callum? <laughs> you know I'm incapable of answering this now because you've only asked for one word. Which I'll is why you... I said it's alright because there's no way you were going to beat me. <laughs> yeah. I'll, let you have, I'll let you have two then, as Brooker had two. <laughs> uh. Sorry, I'm gonna make it one sentence, okay? Good <laughs> if you knew where. Good if you knew where to look. Okay, okay I'm, I'm gonna go two words. Bang average. Owen. Bad. No, there's not even been a glut of horrendous film. Yeah, you're right. It's just average. No, just average. I think I have to say I reckon Callum's hit it on the head. Yeah. If like, you know, if you know where to look for you for the films. When I went through my list, okay. So when I done my worst list, my short list was about forty films long, but 
my top 10 of the year was also about 30 films long. There was some shit around this year, but there were some really good ones around as well. Yeah. Um, mm. Like, like if, you, if your year was literally just um, consisting of big mainstream blockbusters, then, yeah, your year was shit, because blockbusters this year were shit. They were almost uniformly shit. Well, yeah, lots of, lots of big movies are just made to the same... You can't really tell them apart, except for the actors who are in them and the names and some of the sort of yeah. look and style. Most of them are pretty much, you know, inseparable. Like, my, like, like this was the year of a blockbuster just kind of forgot that movies need to have a second act, for example. Yeah, mo- movies this year just turned into new metal. That's all it is. It's all oh, fucking God! Insane. So... <laughs> <laughs> Hold on a fucking minute. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Brooke, I knew that was coming. Shall we have our next uh, category? Shall we keep rolling, 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 rolling onto the next list? Now, I know you've been loving this shit right here, but we are going to take a break and split the episode into two. So if you want to find out what was in our top ten films of the year, as well as our three worst films, as well as best performances, then you will have to come back for the remainder of the episode, which will be published on New Year's Eve or tomorrow if you've downloaded this on the day of its release so uh thanks very much for listening hope you enjoyed this part of the podcast and don't forget to come back cheerio the failed critics podcast is presented by steve norman and owen hughes created by james diamond with original music provided by kevin mcleod of incompetech.com remixed by james yule of jamesyule.com You can find us at failedcritics.com, on Twitter at failedcritics, and Facebook at facebook.com forward slash failedcritics. Thanks for listening.